This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Kate Pierce, Sweet Talking Rancher. You guys know that this summer has been one filled with romance novels for me. It has been just a wonderful escape. Um, so I'm excited to check out uh, Sweet Talking Rancher. Everyone in Rancher Danny Miller's life wants to know how he feels about his teenage flame returning to Morgan Valley. Danny wishes he knew. After the disastrous ending of their relationship and Faith's choice to leave town all those years ago, Danny's rebuilt his life without her. But he's about to have a very practical reason for needing her in it again, despite the very impractical desire she inspires once he lays eyes on her. Faith McDonald hadn't planned on returning home, but with her dad retiring, her help is needed at the family veterinary practice. She's hoping that by now, folks have forgotten what happened between her and Danny, even if the two of them never can. With a mystery infection decimating the Miller cattle, she and Danny soon find themselves on the same side for the first time in forever. There was a lot of trouble in their past, but the good parts never really flamed out, including their intense attraction. Kate Pierce is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author known for her unconventional heroes and her joy for subverting romance cliches. She was born and raised in England, but after acquiring a degree in history and barely escaping the British civil service alive, she moved to California and then to Hawaii with her kids and her husband. A member of RWA, she writes novels in several genres for Kensington, Penguin Random House UK, Rouge Romance, Karina, and Kleiss Press. Along with being a voracious reader, Kate loves trail riding Western style with her family. She can be found online at katepierce.com and on Twitter at Kate4Queen. You can find Sweet Talking Rancher by Kate Pierce wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. unapologetically feminist lens. Each week we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we end with something hopeful. And just a reminder, if you're enjoying us, to rate, review, subscribe, recommend us, um, especially on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people discover us, even just five-star. Five-star review would be great. Um, You can review us uh, five stars, or you can, you know, do whatever you want. But um, we particularly liked this review, this five-star review that said, by Lucky Stars with a Z, that said, love it. I was hooked after only listening to one episode. Thanks, Lucky Stars. Um, we are, uh, we always welcome feedback and communication on our social media. We're FWM Podcast on Twitter and Facebook and Feminists Without Mystique on Instagram. And if you are so inclined, you could support us on Kofi, K-O-F-I, um, and that will help us with our hardware and software needs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had some interesting, we had, we had a spectrum of uh, communication mm. from listeners this week. Um would you want to do you want to kick us off? I'll kick us off. What a tapestry of human uh <laughs> so 
via Facebook message. Let me just pull this. Uh, <laughs> let me just pull this up. Um, received something that began with a GIF, which normally I, I welcome. I enjoy a GIF, but it's, I'm looking at it now, man. Um, it's a it's a penis, <laughs> and it is actively ejaculating. Um, really, just you know, spurting spurting out there. <clears throat> And what this individual writes beneath the uh, spurting penis gif, <laughs> caps lock, sperms can be created from female cells, three shocked emoji faces. Will men become redundant when the man's semen is not needed in the near future? Thinking emoji, three crying emojis. <laughs> what will we have for the man in the future when he no longer needs to be necessary for childbearing? Like very frightened emojis and crying emojis. <clears throat> Is it the feminist dream that will come true when women will produce babies without the involvement of a man? Pondering, gasping, frowning, crying, sobbing, thinking, thinking, thinking. Um, well, Ronnie, uh, his name's Ronnie. I won't, I won't dox him. I won't give out his last name if it even is his real name. Watch even though he, he seemed totally fine with like putting his full, full name from Facebook and picture mm -hmm. attached to this comment. So he stands by it. Um, <laughs> Yes, it is the feminist dream uh, that will come true. <laughs> like, what? I just wonder. I wonder about Ronnie's days, and I wonder about <laughs> Ronnie's evenings and his life, and how you know he didn't just reach out to us. You know, he's like, mm -mm. he's reaching out probably anything with feminist in the name. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. I wonder what kind of feedback he's getting. I have not yet responded. I'm not quite sure how to tackle it. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, I, I just have a lot of questions that I don't think I'm going to ever have answers to about the type of individual who, who's, you know, who, who sends this. Um, so that's Sunday at noon. Yeah. Um, like, was he, I mean, hmm. Okay. You know, um, God, that gift's just really. <laughs> it's aggressive. It's a real, it like from, from the screenshot, you're actually just, so that is a real picture. I'm feeling so assaulted by that. It's squirting. It's a real, it's a real video of someone's actual erect dick squirting, ejac like ejaculating or mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm actually kind of surprised that it it made it past Facebook's censors. Like, aren't they supposed to? Yeah, like, I don't. I don't know what the um, the rules are. I guess I could report report Ronnie, but I don't have any. I don't have any good answers for him. Again, I just have a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. um, why? <laughs> why? What does he think he's going to achieve? What is his goal? I, I mean, I guess I I think his goal was that uh, you know is for men to be necessary for childbearing um mm -hmm. and he's worried about it um so i mean i think that there will always be some some straight people and some some bi people i think there's always going to be some people there will always be i think men and women fucking um <laughs> so i think that's still gonna happen ronnie um so it should be okay I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, he could, he should donate maybe to a sperm bank. Although 
So we want Ronnie's spawn, <laughs> Ronnie's body, um, running amok. I don't know, but I think, I think it's gonna be okay. I think that even with any technological <laughs> advances that allow women to have biological children together, I think we're still gonna have um, semen uh, as a potential, um, you know, way to impregnate. So I think, I think it's gonna be okay, Ronnie. <clears throat> I think it's going to be okay. Thanks for writing in though. (laughs) Yeah. We appreciate the question. (laughs) It's a really great question. Glad you Mm -hmm. asked it. Yeah. Really appreciated the emoji, the spectrum of emojis that, Mm -hmm. you know, he used obviously like from deep sadness to concern to questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah. Ronnie's Thanks for reaching out, Ronnie. (laughs) Uh, ejaculate and and all that comes with it right and then on the other end of the spectrum because we talked about (laughs) we had a a real human woman who reached out um a listener who was responding to our last episode which was called covid endless covid um and this i think just ties nicely into kind of discussing the news of the news of the day and every day for the past 17 months, which is COVID and how badly it's fucking up our, our hospitals and um, every, you know, yeah, the whole, how strained the healthcare system is. But, um, and uh, we had this listener's permission to share the anecdote. Um, She said, hi, I just finished your podcast on endless COVID and wanted to share a recent experience. My grandmother had a heart attack on Monday morning. She was transported to a larger hospital a few towns over and spent nine hours in triage waiting for a room to become available. Tuesday morning, her heart was catheterized where a blockage was found. Around 3 p.m., surgery was performed to remove it. She was sent home at 1 a.m. Wednesday morning. The hospital wasn't even able to keep her until morning after surgery for observation because of overcrowding. Our area has never gotten out of the red, and there's been a huge spike in cases since school started. It's infuriating that an elderly woman was rushed out of the hospital because these anti-vax people are monopolizing medical attention. It's their own fault. Unless it's medically unsafe for you to be vaccinated, I have no sympathy. They are taking care away from people who need it. Yeah, I think that's a common um relatively common sentiment amongst uh, vaxxers i guess we'll call us <laughs> amongst the vaxxed community <laughs> yes amongst the vaxxed um yeah my my little anecdote is my dad was uh went to the emergency room because he had passed out during a procedure um and so they sent him there and he was in the waiting room um for over six hours before they saw him without food or water this elderly man who was there because he passed out um and you know I don't blame the staff it's you triage and if you're so overwhelmed that like that's a scary thing um yeah. there was literally a person in the waiting room holding their disembodied finger in their hand for yes. hours um and then once they did see him they just really wanted you could they just wanted to turn him out there you know um mm-hmm. So it's, and not anecdotally, just statistically, hospitals are at past capacity. A lot are past surge capacity for patients and understaffed, um, which is an awful dangerous combination. I'm a little nervous about giving birth in a couple months. Hopefully things are chiller by then. Um, 
it's uh, it's really sad. I, you know, you, I've read a story about a veteran who died of a heart attack in a waiting room, um, and I think things like that are are happening. I mean, it's unavoidable when the system is so stressed that people who wouldn't otherwise die are going to and right. or would be suffering more than they would have under their uh, circumstances and it's frustrating when you see people who are just like so proudly against vaccines and masking um mm-hmm. until they get until they get covid and then you hear about how they changed their minds but mm-hmm. you know it's it's hard to to see that and see the choices that they're making that do direct other that do impact other people mm-hmm. um and because of their ignorance and um, selfishness, other people are dying by way of either <clears throat> getting infected from them if there's someone who maybe was vaccinated, but they're a transplant recipient and they pass mm-hmm. away or someone who, you know, is vaccinated and has um, some other immuno, um, immunocompromising uh, um, condition. Mm-hmm. So, or, you know someone who medically can't get vaccinated you know there's all all kinds of things um yeah so it's those people and then it's the people who otherwise would receive prompt care that can't now so I, I get the frustration and I I feel it too it's like I don't get any glee when I read the stories about anti-vaxxers dying I really don't um mm-hmm. but I do feel the frustration at the fact that there's this burden on our healthcare system right now that is due in part to the behavior of some and it's affecting everybody. Right. Right. It really, it presents um, an interesting and I think kind of, I think it's a valid ethical question. I mean, I know there's a lot of like ethicists kind of in overdrive right now. There are lots of questions related to vaccine distribution and access um, and choice uh, when it comes to vaccines in general, but specifically COVID, um, lots of ethical questions. But specifically, when you think about the strain that people who choose not to have a vaccine, they have the access. I wonder, you know, this is me just thinking out loud about kind of what might or should be required. Okay, well, if you're if you're not mandated to take to get the vaccine for work or, you know, if you don't, if you can choose to abstain from getting the vaccine, then maybe you should sign some sort of attestation that you understand the risks and that should you need ICU care, you know, you are forfeiting that right. You know, you're saying like, I, I have been given all the information and um, I understand that if I need this, this life-saving um ICU care, I might not be able to get it if, you know, if there's other people who need it more, who need it, who, who are in an emergent situation, who, who did choose to get the vaccine. I mean, that's a deeply uncomfortable sentiment to even really voice, but it's just, I'm sure like putting myself in the, in the position of that list of the listener who um, wrote to us through Instagram, or there've been a couple of other um, people uh, that I've seen just like anecdotally online, like one guy who was beside himself because he's his wife is in cancer treatment and she's having to postpone care um, because of the strain. I, I would, if this were affecting 
any of my friends or family in that way, I would be also beside myself. And I think it would clarify any murkiness that I feel towards this. I think I'd feel even less because I'd say, no, like my, my friend, my family member chose to get the vaccine and they deserve like to not be thwarted by people who are not listening to public health guidance. Um, Anyway, it's it's tough. It's just it's just a really unpleasant situation. Yeah, I would I'd be interested to to phone an ethicist friend on this one. Um, yeah, because it because it, it's like there. Are, yeah, there's the argument to be made. Well, so many things are tied to behavior. Would you a lifelong smoker who then got lung cancer? Would you not them care? And it's like, no, but also we're in a pandemic mm-hmm. <laughs> and certainly secondhand smoke has implications for others, but it's not. You know, there's there's not really an equivalent situation as choosing not to get this vaccine at this point in history. It's a very, very bold move. Very bold yeah. Move. Yeah. Oh, and before we jump into the like our main topic, Ugh. which Ugh. is you'll we'll all I mean, we'll get into it. But uh, we are now officially it's it's right before the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and the U.S. has left Afghanistan. The last troops were like left in the wee hours of, of yesterday morning, the 31st. Um, that is after uh, there was a horrendous attack by ISIS-K at the airport, killing, I believe, 13 U.S. service members and a hundred, uh, at least 110 um, Afghani citizens trying to leave, trying to, um, yeah, trying to leave the airport. Um, and I saw kind of a depressing headline, which I probably won't be able to pull up now too many, too many tabs, but it was like the U S leaves Afghanistan the way they began with like drone deaths and, um, yeah, like drone strikes and Afghani deaths. Uh, and that really also was distressing to read because, like like we were saying before we hit record, I can't believe that it's been 20 years since 9-11. That makes us, that makes me feel really old. But it also, I it means that we've been in this war, this sort of endless war since you and I were in like sixth grade or fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a lot of time for this ambiguous war that has cost so many lives, like U.S. service members, but but far more. Um, Afghani citizens and seems to have created more like terrorist groups in that area. Um, and certainly nothing was gained in terms of nation building um, from all of our effort and hard materials and, um, you know, at- attempts. But uh, the retaliation that the U.S. was was trying to enact um, has it's reported that that you know they killed civilians and it killed a few children this drone strike and it seems like the generals were saying no it didn't but the people on the ground are saying yeah it did yeah which i think we'd go with the people on the ground on this one and yeah i thought it was kind of chilling that um biden said that the united states would would respond with force at a moment of our choosing which is pretty much what bush said in 2001 um, Bush said, um, this conflict was begun on the timing in terms of others. It will end in a way in an hour of our choosing. <sighs> so it's just kind of ugh, like, did you mean to like 
TBT that Joe because yeah. that was a little little on the nose there. Um, yeah, don't wanna. We don't we don't want any repeats here. No, no, we don't. Um, we don't. So that's happening and it's getting a lot of attention. But I think what we're gonna turn turn our attention and our hearts and our minds and our rage and our frustration to today is the law that was uh, just enacted and allowed to pass. The Supreme Court did not block it. Mm. Um, It is on its face unconstitutional. um, And it is a ban of abortions after six weeks. Yep. Good old Texas coming through there. Um, it doesn't make any exceptions for pregnancies resulting from incest or rape either, which is a nice little a little silver lining there. Because if it's not awful enough at face value, the most restrictive abortion ban in the United States, which is blatantly unconstitutional, they're also it doesn't matter if you're raped or nope, nope, no, no exceptions there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. Uh, the Roe v. Wade like prohibits states from banning abortion before 24, um, 22 to 24 weeks, which is considered fetal viability. Mm-hmm. This is quite before that. 90% of um, women in Texas who have gotten abortions historically, it's been after six weeks. Six weeks is before a lot of people know that they're even pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um this is going to disproportionately impact marginalized communities, low-income women who can't just scurry across, you know, state lines and find somewhere else to go. Who don't have the resources to do so. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's very uh, chilling. This um, one that this is going forward, and that the Supreme Court chose not to do anything about it when it's i remember you cavi no cavi cav cavi cav respect and precedent do you um because yeah this is blatantly uncon it's completely going against um roe v wade and it's um it's gonna be tough to <laughs> to see i mean this is gonna have awful repercussions on individuals on communities on the state of texas texas keeps fucking shit up Mm -hmm. um and if you know roe is overturned texas is one of the many states that have the trigger bills which is if roe v wade is overturned all abortions would be outlawed Mm -hmm. so that's another thing to be keeping our eye on the um supreme court for and there was a doctor, um, Joseph Nelson, who works at a clinic in Austin, who said that he had to turn away multiple patients who came in for ultrasound appointments, which are required in Texas 24 hours before an abortion. They all thought they were under six weeks, but they were already past it. Um, so there's and people are stockpiling. Uh, we're stockpiling Plan B and things like that. Um, it's a very scary time to be a... Um, a woman in this country, particularly in Texas. Yes, it's it's enraging on so many levels, and especially 
also kind of when we take into account the landscape of uh, having to endure for the last 17 months this this um, political fight over mask mandates and uh, states trying to tell people to wear masks. It's a public health thing in the middle of a pandemic in a lar- in large part when there wasn't even a vaccine for anyone. So it was like really important to stop the spread through these like very um, non-obtrusive uh, ways in which you could keep yourself and others safe. Um, but it's been seen as like a freedom issue. So it's like, so if, if putting a mask on is, 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 too much and too much of an infringement on your freedom um imagine mine and many other women's frustration when uh it doesn't seem like really an infringement on our freedom to just decide what what decisions we can make for our own personal health and welfare between us and a provider um and that infringement on our privacy on our bodies um that that so just on its face, there's this like landscape that makes this even more frustrating and difficult to swallow than it normally would be. But one thing that I really want to emphasize too is that this law is, um, oh, it's on its face unconstitutional. Um, but it also the way that it puts the enforcement of this law in the hands of private citizens. And private citizens are allowed to sue abortion providers and those involved in, quote, aiding and abetting abortions, which and then this is broadly um, those who aid and abet abortions could include anyone from staff at Planned Parenthood, the person at the front desk, to an Uber driver who provides a ride to the abortion clinic. Um, It's a very it could be very broadly construed. And you're putting this enforcement in the hands of these private citizens who over the last 30 years have shown that they have the time and the inclination to spend their days standing and picketing and harassing women who go in for reproductive health care, go into these clinics. So, and the penalty, if someone who quote aids and abeds an abortion, the penalty, if they are found guilty of this is $10,000 and they have to pay not only their legal fees, but the legal fees of the private citizen who sued them. So there is this enormous burden. And the language of aiding and abetting is so um, criminalizing uh, that there is, so there's this language. And then the general construction of this law um, basically creatively takes the state out of it and puts everything in the hands of private citizens so that a you know a Planned Parenthood or a Lilith Foundation, um, any of these providers are gonna have to be firing on all cylinders, defending themselves against hundreds, maybe thousands of uh, of lawsuits against privates from private private citizens. So they can't be consolidated. So it's just like gonna be a barrage, and it's not the way the law is actually supposed to work in terms of put in terms of this vigilante. Uh, justice from people who are religious zealots, who are uh, anecdotally, apparently last night when the law was allowed to go into effect, they were outside some of these uh, clinics with floodlights, letting providers and patients who were in there know, you know, we're watching you and we will sue you if like 
a single abortion moves forward um, at this point. And on a personal note, just me personally, and I said this to my boyfriend who, you know, just his family lives in Texas and I, we have a podcast, you know, you and I have a podcast. We advocate strongly and I would never have it any other way advocate for a woman's right to make her own decisions about this woman's right to choose reproductive health care for everyone. Um, and I think the law is broad enough that it could be construed as we aid and abet abortions through our advocacy of this. Um, and should we step foot in Texas, we could get sued because who, you know, if there's some rando who has the time and can identify either of us, he or she could sue us and we would be on the hook in Texas for maybe $10,000 plus their legal fees. And so I sort of had a serious conversation this morning or less, less of a conversation, more of a, like, I can't even talk about this because I'm so burning mad, but like, I am not, I don't think I'm comfortable going to Texas. Like, I don't want to go to, first of all, I don't want to go and spend a dollar in Texas because, and I know it's not, again, like this is oversimplifying because there are so many people doing good work and going to fight against this and try to make it better from within. And I think that they should, but I am so furious and so freaked out. And on a, so that on a personal level, I don't want to go to Texas. I don't want to spend money there. And I don't want to uh, uh, subject myself to vigilante zealot lawsuits potentially, because where does it end? This is absolutely, I mean, someone said on Twitter and I just, I'll end my rant with, this is not a slippery slope. We are at the bottom of a fucking slope. The slippery slope began years ago and we are at the bottom because this has effectively this Texas Texas getting going being allowed to go forward with this unconstitutional law effectively overturns Roe v. Wade certainly in Texas and it absolutely portends bad news for that Mississippi law that we're waiting to hear about this year at the Supreme Court. Yeah, it's terrifying. The aiding and abetting piece of it is, I mean, on one hand, the precedent that that sets and. Like you said, where does it end and the ways it could be construed and the ways it could be used to just um, try and silence people who disagree with this. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, the power it gives Mm -hmm. to people who shouldn't have power and really want it. Mm -hmm. Um, Those floodgate motherfucker vigilantes. Um, it's, I, I literally have goosebumps right now. It's, um, very scary. Like you said, it's like, we're down at the bottom of the slope. Maybe there's something, maybe the floor beneath us will crack, you know, we've, we've slid, we've slid down that slippery slope. Um, you know, and then if Roe v. Wade is overturned, there's so many states that have those trigger laws and many, many less that have protections in place already. Like we live in a state, Washington state where even if Rose overturned, um, there are protections here. But what if federal leadership changes? To, you know, th- this is just, we've slid down the slope and we're hoping the floor beneath us stays stable and maybe we can figure out a way to climb back up that slope, but it's going to be real hard to undo 
undo this. Um, so the Supreme Court silence so far, I feel, speaks um, volumes. And uh, Texas Right to Life, they started soliciting, quote unquote, anonymous tips on its website and asking for volunteers to join the team of pro-lifers working to enforce the law. Mm-hmm. They have an online form where they ask people to submit information about how they think the abortion ban was violated and to name a clinic or a doctor potentially involved. Hmm. Um, so there's already, we've got people with the floodlights on, we've got organizations trying to like encourage people already to be these tipsters. Mm-hmm. Um, oof, when you put power in the wrong hands, it's a real bad thing. And I am fucking nervous about where we're going to remember this decision and the things that follow. Um, and it'll be, it's hard with, we're just constantly, there's just a constant, I feel like influx and stream of really um, existentially terrifying things happening in the world. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things where, you know, I feel like people talk about um, significant moments or thing, times when things change. And I feel like generally that that's kind of reductive and that there aren't moments where things change like that. And this was the result of a buildup of things. It wasn't a moment, but this particular decision and moment, I do feel like will be a, <laughs> a chapter marker. Yeah, certainly. Um, and I am very frightened of what is to come in Texas and in the rest of the country, particularly places that already have those trigger bills uh, on the books. I totally agree. I'm, I'm, I'm so frightened and enraged and and sad. And it's also worth noting, and this is just like kind of kicking it off from um, Imani Barberin on, on Twitter. She said, while I'm angry at the country and its institutions for this decision, I still reserve considerable, a considerable amount of ire for the white women who chose and continue to choose their whiteness above all, but who will demand black and brown women fight for their rights as women. Um, yeah, I just kind of want to bring this up too, because it really, it makes my heart sink that like we as white women broadly, um, are a huge part of the problem voting for Trump over Hillary in, in large numbers, including like, I, I, you know, when, when we have the, when there are decisions like this, um, I think about conversations I had with, um, conservative aunts of mine who specifically said, um, they knew they weren't going to vote for Hillary. And if they did vote for Trump, it was going to be because of the Supreme court and the abortion issue. Um, and I know there are a lot of white women specifically, who held that view, voted in that way. Um, There is not an infrastructure to support largely um, black and brown communities all over the country who are going to be uh, disproportionately affected by these bans, by um, these basically like hundreds of miles of like desert where they can't get reproductive health care and the, the the burden of trying to get an abortion or get some sort of health care that they need is expensive to the point of being prohibitive and or like have not being able to take off work, not being able to get a ride. At, you know, there's just so many access issues. Um, and 
you know, there has never been a black or brown, you know, black woman on the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, we're sort of stuck with not only white men, but white women, Amy Coney Barrett, um, selling, selling women out. We're stuck having to claim Amy Coney Barrett and Susan Collins, who sold women out when she voted. She cast the deciding vote in the Senate to um, appoint Brett Kavanaugh, and she gave a really infuriating self-satisfied self-serious speech where she talked about how she was convinced Kavanaugh convinced her that he supported Roe being settled law that will echo you know for years and years to come um I I will spare no you know part of my negative energy and bile that I feel uh for Susan Collins and for Susan Collins and hey, they reelected her in Maine. They split the ticket and they voted Joe Biden back. He vo- they voted Joe Biden and they voted Susan Collins in again after that decision. That is white women in Maine. Um, so there is just we expect black and brown women to vote for the whole like whole community of color to vote as a monolith for Democrats, you know, and, and yet we have these devastating decisions continue to happen. Um, and you can't blame people for feeling like really what is, you know, what is my vote really doing? What am I voting for? I mean, Biden took him a long time today to say something about it. And then he, he did speak out against it, but it was not like immediate. And if, if, if I think again, we get into our, I get into, you know, it's, it's useless to say really at this point, like what if Elizabeth Warren was president, but you know that she would have been fighting tooth and nail against this. And you know that she would have been up at midnight when it went into effect and have, have something fucking prepared. We didn't have, anything from Biden or anyone on his staff last night when this happened or early in the morning. And we didn't have anything from the first female VP, you know? No, I'm like, what do you, what do you, what do you have to say? Um... So it's just like, it's upsetting and it really sucks. Like it, um, as white women, it just as sucks that we have women. to look at like our community and be like, we just own a huge part of this problem and we are not the ones who are going to a lot of us are going to be living in states or have access to the health care that we need most likely mm-hmm. in some form or another this is going to be hugely disproportionate and that fucking sucks yeah and it's like you have you know ted cruz fleeing when the pipes freeze and all that and when you know i have a feeling an inkling that if the daughter of one of these um abortion ban supporters were to get pregnant particularly if it were by incest or rape mm-hmm. they might do a little hush hush across state lines because the rules don't apply to them um mm-hmm. which is in fear it's like the people who by and large it feels like the people who want this 
to pass aren't really going to be impacted by it. And it's also, if you really truly believe, um, you know, that abortion isn't good. (laughs) No one's like, abortion's great. I love it. I love having this. It's not a fun procedure, but if you're someone who's firmly against it, then don't get an abortion. Like we don't need to, why can't we just leave it there? Why do we need to keep fucking doing this? You know, it's, I'm interested in, I should have looked this up, but what the, um, what the penalties are for rape in Texas versus if you choose, if you try to get an abortion because you were raped, you know, after six weeks. I have a feeling about that, but I haven't looked it up, so I can't uh, speak to it. But I have a funny feeling. Uh, yeah. That's assuming, know. by the way, that you would be able to successfully prosecute and find someone guilty of rape, which is a whole process in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other uh, can of worms there. Again, also a, a state that they're going to get all sanctimonious about about the right to life when it's like, well, you don't seem to care very much about immigrants because we're building walls. We don't seem to care very much about COVID because we don't give a shit about mask mandates. In fact, we ban them. Um, you know, we we don't care about gun safety or gun control because part of our whole thing here is you can have guns. There's no waiting period. Lots of loopholes. Pew, 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 Texas. Like, I, that is not to me a community that genuinely cares about the sanctity of life. It's control over women's bodies. It always has been. Um, and the history of the right caring about abortion began basically in like, the Reagan era and it's not like this is like a long-standing belief of Christians or something like it's just not it's fully political it's weaponizing um you know it's a war on on women and marginalized communities and um it you know if there there's there's always people are going to want to control women's bodies what how many kids they have if they don't have kids if they do have kids i mean there's been infuriating articles this year about like, well, let's mourn all of the unborn because of the pandemic and people are having less kids and millennials don't want to have kids because it's expensive. It's like, I am going to like lose my shit thinking about the, the gall of any. And of course these, the articles that I'm thinking of the two that I'm thinking of were written by men in like Bloomberg and Forbes or whatever. Um, mourning these like the concept of how many brilliant people are not getting born but as I think Jessica Valenti said on Twitter today like uh, oh yeah like hypotheticals about all these people that aren't getting born whether or not it's because there's a baby bust because of the pandemic or because of um, your decisions around your own fucking choices and possibly getting an abortion um Jessica Valenti poses the question, like, what about all the remarkable women um, who would get to live longer if they cured cancer? You know, if we were able to cure other diseases, you know, it's like we don't pose those types of hypotheticals. So 
she says, um, they never consider we could be the remarkable, remarkable ones if only given the chance. It's like we're always talking about the hypothetical remarkable unborn when women could be remarkable or could at least have a better fucking chance if you give them access to have control over their fucking bodies. It's a basic fucking thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like they they are telling these women who can't go elsewhere to get abortions, basically either they need to do it, try to do it themselves, which is incredibly dangerous. Um, or they need to, at the very least, um, carry a baby to term, which, um, is a whole fucking thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. being pregnant sucks, honestly. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a flippant way to put it, but it's also there. It's dangerous um, if you have if you have certain things come up health wise. It becomes hard to work. It become you know, and if it's not something you've chosen, and then if you decide, okay, I have to have this kid. I'll put them up for adoption. Is the is CPS in Texas ready? Mm-hmm. Um, no, of course for these not. <laughs> children to find homes, um particularly any children who aren't white babies who have a harder time finding homes. What, what is, what have they set when they set this in place, what legislation do they put in place to take care of these babies after they're born? I'm wondering, I haven't seen anything about that. I haven't seen Mm. the bill that will provide, um, that will provide for these children. Oh yeah. You know, because that's not the job of the state, Erin. That's that's personal responsibility of the family and the woman. And like, it's not the state's job to be the like, state's job. Every baby gets a gun. <laughs> Every baby gets a gun, and no baby gets access to food. How does that sound? That's it. That's it. you just need to protect yourself, little baby. Here's a gun. We brought you here. You're welcome. Figure it out. And no guaranteed paid family leave for women, like federally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Just figure it out, you know? Just figure it out. And where are the repercussions for the men who impregnated these women, I wonder, mm-hmm. as well? Mm-hmm. Um, pondering emoji, pondering emoji, weepy emoji. <laughs> exactly. The, uh, yeah, just wondering where, where they're at um, in all of this. Uh, just curious. Just curious about that as well yeah it seems it seems there are some unanswered questions just a few um seems like this creates a lot of problems uh, not a lot of solutions so i'm just you know trying to to problem solve here um and texas by the way which is a fucking huge state um i think it's the fourth largest state has about 24 abortion clinics which is down from 40 down roughly 40 from before 2013 when the state legislature imposed like a previous austere uh, round of restrictions. Um, So, and on top of like all of that in terms of their, uh, in terms of clinic access, there's, they also are notoriously not great about their sex ed curriculums. They're um, I think it's also like the, if it's the fourth largest um, school system, statewide school system. And so there are huge fights over 
critical race theory, which we've talked about, and like all their other the other nonsense that they want to inculcate children in public schools with, um, they're also not super um, comprehensive in terms of a, a sex edu- a sex ed program, which is another way to uh, reduce unplanned pregnancies and help educate children in a real way about like you know how, how like it's just infuriating that you would combine both of these things. Like we're not going to educate people. We're also not going to give them access to make decisions. Um, We're just going to make it like yeehaw, fuck women and kids, you know? Absolutely. They're too busy worrying about what will happen if children are taught the realities of race to worry about, Hey, maybe if we're going to outlaw abortion, we should put some, put some things in, in place that will help prevent unplanned pregnancies, like comprehensive sex education, access to contraceptives. No, no, they're not really looking. Just looking to be punitive. Just looking to be punitive. They're not really looking to solve any problems. Because if they actually, people who really cared about abortion, really wanted to reduce abortions, we have the research that says comprehensive sex education is the way to do that, access to contraceptives. Mm-hmm. Um but I didn't see a big Republican push in Texas for either of those things. So you didn't? It's all very perplexing to me. They're very always perplexing. so consistent. I know. It's strange. It's, I'm, you know, I, I also just want to see, I want to see the rage from men here. Um, I, I want to like, just call out that my timeline does not include very men, very many men on Twitter talking about how upsetting this is. Everyone jumps right the fuck in when it comes to, I don't know, like Afghanistan, which is obviously troubling. We should all talk about that. People want to talk about, uh, critical race theory, censorship, cancel culture, especially white men love getting all riled up about cancel culture. And I need from you to be as upset about reproductive health care as you are about cancel culture. I've had this conversation slash argument with my own boyfriend, which is like, FYI, when you start getting all hot and bothered about cancel culture or, um, you know, other things that are fucking smaller, you know, and you're sending me a think piece from so-and-so substack. Um, just understand that like the information I'm taking in is, mm, this seems to bother you more than like my uterus and I need it to not be that way. Um, and I'm sure, uh, that, uh, there are a lot of issues where we could all do to be more riled up 24 seven, but it's like, this is definitely something, I don't know if you're listening and you're, um, a guy, maybe just think about, just really try to think about how this isn't necessarily something that you'd ever understand because it's never going to be your body that is being legislated, especially by mostly men. Um, You know, you're, you're, but you need to just try to understand that this is like fundamentally not okay. And if this were about something else where we were granting vigilante zealots the uh, legal framework within which to just sue private citizens and uh, and like just willy-nilly 
without any financial repercussions, I think there would be way more men up in arms. So this is not a legal precedent that is good to be setting where there are some people who get to menace everyone else with their fucking bullshit. Their sanctimonious, baseless, hypocritical bullshit. Yep. Time for uh, cis men to care, please. It's been past time, you guys. We're at the bottom of the slope. Bottom of the slope. Yep. We've we've arrived. <sighs> um someone also drew just before we go into we see use like a, a comparison to the Salem witch trials. And I don't think that's super like it's not that hyperbolic. I mean, we're not drowning women in ponds or burning them or hanging them for being witches, but we are saddling them with lawsuits and requiring them to carry children to term, put a strain on their body, their finances for the rest of their lives, emotional damage, like, and potentially putting them in danger if they're, I mean, having a child is not like just a walk in the park for your bod. Um, It is not, is not a casual fucking process. I'll tell you that. Right. And even if you did like a lot of, we've had this conversation and you know, but a lot of people are like, well, you could give it up for adoption. It's like, that is not, that wreaks its own type of emotional torture and physical torture because you have to have the baby and then you're giving it away. And that is like, that also has its own ramifications and repercussions for your whole life. Um, So anyway, that's fucking awful. So it is like the burden that we are placing on women um, is horrendous. And the fact that Aaron, like you're having a child in a couple of months and Mm -hmm. she potentially, (laughs) if you were having the child in Texas would automatically have less rights than her mother and grandmother and great, you know, like, yeah, it's uh, that is another layer to all of this is uh, knowing, you know, I'm having a girl, most I mean, XX, who knows how they'll identify when they're older, but statistically, most likely a girl and in the eyes of the law, a girl and really wondering, you know, politicians like to use the rhetoric of like the world for of our children and our daughters. Um, but yeah, I really don't love the idea that she could be in a, you know, if we get to somewhere in our country where what's happening in Texas becomes the law of the land somehow. Um, yeah, I don't love the idea that uh, we are, we've slid down the slope and we're moving backwards. And, you know, I don't, she's not, she's being born into a world where there's never been a woman president, where all this shit's hitting the fan and where the struggle for equality is very uh very much some steps forward some steps back there's not this beautiful beacon of progress where Mm -hmm. i can confidently say my daughter will have opportunities i didn't have i hope so there are some ways in which that is currently true where i currently live um you know there's certain language around that's used that wasn't then but there's also things like what's going on in texas so i can't can't say that I'm I'm uh 
not nervous about that. Totally. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to get to on this cluster, this unmitigated clusterfuck before we move to We See You's? That's all. That's all I got in my tank, man. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's it for me too. Um, just for now, FYI, world. <laughs> oh, um, a couple of places to donate if you're interested, and if this is you know, if this is of interest, and you're looking to channel your rage. Um. The Lilith Fund is um, fights for abortion rights in Texas um, and Fund Texas Choice uh, is a place that um, will ha- has funds to get people access to abortions. Um, and then there's also Aid Access, uh, which is online consult for abortion pills by mail. Um, so aidaccess.org so those are just a couple of places but there are lots of different places um, to and and this is this is a situation where your money is like going directly to aid people who are needing assistance getting abortions I mean it's it's so frustrating but um, at least your dollars are going to be spent um, helping women who need it And now for We See You. All right, let's dive into some quick We See You's. Um, all right, so some Christian schools <laughs> <laughs> kicking it off. Uh, North Point Christian schools um, are enacting their health department's mask order, but they will accept a parent or guardian's note saying that their kid can't wear a face covering due to medical reasons. Um, uh, speaking of slippery slopes, letting parents speak to basically write doctor's notes um, uh, when their parents aren't doctors. And even if your parents are doctors, it's kind of a conflict to do so. Uh, not a great precedent to set. Um, <laughs> the thing about the masks is... If you decide you don't want your kid to wear a mask and there's not actually a medical reason, because if there is a medical reason, then a doctor um, will write the note. You're putting the, all the kids, you know, around your child at risk, um, particularly if they also have parents who, who decided that their kid can't medically tolerate or kids who actually can't medically tolerate a mask. Mm-hmm. It's just more selfish. Um, bullshit with this which there's so much of in this pandemic i i mean a lot of kids actually uh do um like their masks they've become something of a little fashion statement i guess or a way to show your favorite characters or whatever um so a lot of kids actually are cool with masks and their parents are the ones who are in up in arms about it and even if your kid isn't like a fan of them um if there's no reason why they can't wear them they, they got to wear them, you know, and people mm-hmm. talk about enforcing masks and this has been um, memed about and tweeted about and posted about, but they sure didn't have any problems enforcing like spaghetti strap rules or 
midriff showing rules or your skirt has to be this long rules um Mm -hmm. again we find people are fine policing the bodies of young women and girls but oh not this mask mandate no because i don't i don't want to um Mm. You just you just gotta do it. Um, I will say one thing. Often I feel like when I find or I come across places that are hesitant or resistant to masks or are um, doing something sketchy regarding the uh, COVID guidance, there's usually a lot of problems associated. But I will say that this school in particular is encouraging families to keep symptomatic kids at home. And that they are going to be contact tracing. They do have air purifiers in the classrooms. They're going to continue with their disinfecting. Um, so I'm glad that they're at least <laughs> in doing that, sending a message and doing some things to help um, curb the spread. But we know that masks are one of the more second to vaccination, you know, probably the most and eh, ventilation, you could argue, the most important um thing that you can do so we see you to north point christian schools for letting parents play doctor and keep their children unmasked because they don't feel like following the rules mm-hmm. yeah we see you Ugh. parents god parents i know this is uh kind of it's a under a similar umbrella. Um, the Waukesha, Wisconsin school board is rejecting the federal program that is giving out free lunches to students who need it. Um, Karen Rajanek, a school board member, said the free program made it easy for families to, quote, become spoiled. Um, and uh, Darren Clark, assistant superintendent for business services, said there could be a, quote, slow addiction to the service. Um, they uh, just don't think, you know, they don't want kids to be spoiled here in the Waukesha school district, which serves 14,000 students. Um, and they had this, um, free lunch or reduced run, uh, reduced lunch option. Um, but this is the school board saying they want to return to pre-pandemic operations and they have choices to make. Um, and it's just kind of ridiculous. It doesn't really make any sense because the universal meal program, um, would just it's just federal assistance for kids to eat lunch um doesn't seem that controversial and uh it also this is the only district uh waukesha wisconsin is the only one out of 408 eligible districts to opt out of this uh universal meal program um i just and oh, and 36% of the student body there in Waukesha qualifies for this reduced price meal program. Um, this idea that people will become addicted to something free, like fucking school lunches for public school children, is really distressing, especially when there's a lot of data on food insecurity and, and um, that shows that basically kids in school, that's like one of the places where they can actually get a real meal um and it's sort of not always dependent on what's going on with their parents finances or what's going on at home but you can at least rely on the kid getting a meal at school if needed um and I just am 
in awe of people who of 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 these like power hungry morons in charge of school districts and people's lives and just choosing like I mean it really feels kind of Scrooge Scrooge miserly to be like we don't want people to become addicted it's like addicted you're fuck you're on you're this is ridiculous it doesn't make any logical sense um and I don't even understand how parents like it's an act of compassion to uh give kids free or reduced lunch options and it's great that it, I'm glad that there are 407 other districts in Wisconsin that are going to be able to take advantage of this program and these funds. But I am very disappointed that there are going to be thousands of kids in this district, Waukesha, Wisconsin, that, um, you know, a bunch of idiots in the school board you don't want people to get spoiled. Hmm. You know, so Waukesha, Wisconsin, we see you. That's some hot bullshit some hot fucking bullshit i that makes it just let's punish hungry children let's do that these hungry food addicted children who are just coveting those chicken fingers and just like fuck off give the kids give the kids lunch like give the kids lunch we know that we know that school lunches like you said we know that they're good right (laughs) we know that they 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 address a need and that children who receive them are better for it so can we yeah anyway sorry that one just really like taking food out of children's mouths i wonder what their view on right to life is yeah anyway moving over to, (laughs) to california um so a teacher um, in California, an elementary school, came to school, ele- technically didn't know that she had COVID, but was visibly sick. Um, and she chose to be unvaccinated. She walks into her elementary school classroom where her children, not her children, but her, her students, um, all too young to be vaccinated, um, decided to take off her mask for uh, story time um, and public service announcement. If you want children to be able to see your like mouth and if you know people are hard of hearing and need to read lips, they have masks called Clearview, which are clear over your mouth. Anyway, I digress. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this teacher decided, you know, I know I'm unvaccinated. I'm visibly ill. But I'm gonna take my mask off for story time. What's what's gonna happen? Half her class um, got sick. Um, Twelve, uh, well, twenty-four students that she has. Only twenty-two of them got tested. Um, she refused, and twelve of them tested positive for mm-hmm. COVID after after this. Um, I just this, and of course, parents ended up getting sick from the kids too. It caused a huge outbreak um there are rules at the school that you are required to be masked indoors she chose not to do this and with nasal congestion fatigue and other symptoms showed up to school and a fever apparently a headache coughing God, not only did how she many go symptoms do you need <laughs> i know it's like fatigue okay i can you can you can argue about that one but all this shit together girl we know so first she decided that she's gonna go to school 
Two, well, first she decided not to get a vaccine. Two, she decides to go to school with symptoms. Three, decides, I know my nose is running and I'm coughing, but I'm going to take my mask off and read the story out loud in this classroom to, to students. And subsequently, because Delta does not mess around and they did sequence and it was Delta, um, got half the class sick. So they didn't name this teacher, which makes sense. Um, but we see you to her for her very many negligent <laughs> acts mm-hmm. that resulted in many, many people getting sick. Her students, her students' parents, probably friends of the parents, colleagues of the parents, um, all because she made a series of bad, selfish uh, decisions. Um, so we see you to this student in the Marin County School District. We see you. So negligent. So many layers of bad so decisions. Many, it's like one after another. It's like a, like a decision flow tree. And each one, it's like, mm, that was bad. That was bad. bad. That was bad. And the result is all these people are sick. Right. Children who don't have the option to get vaccinated yet. Like, no. Again, pro life. <sighs> Every, you know, these pro life. I mean, I, I don't know what her, <laughs> what her politics are. But we but- can sassily guess i'm gonna sassily guess. our podcast <laughs> try and stop me yeah. um all right another school district we're just like school 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 um back to school for us too i guess yeah, back to school season <laughs> <laughs> um well to and and texas because texas is just mm, on a roll um there was a uh, a Texas school board meeting uh, in late July where um, a group of parents accused a black principal of promoting critical race theory and, quote, the conspiracy theory of systemic racism. So already we have, you know, we have problems because uh, uh, systemic racism is just like provable in so many big and small ways. Um, but they um this group of parents they they named the principal several times during their remarks at the school board meeting even though there's a policy where they're not supposed to be directly attacking anyone um but yeah so after those attacks the district suspended uh the principal um it's a Colleyville Heritage High School principal named James Whitfield and they suspended him without explanation and he has said now to different news outlets, including the Washington Post, uh, that he uh, wasn't given any clear reasoning behind the decision, not given a timetable regarding further steps. They were just simply told it was not in the best interest of the district to have him. Um, so this is insidious um and censorship and i i just i want to point these types of episodes out because it feels like there's constant um like meet 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 on the right or from like even on the left and people who want to seem like they're quote fair-minded um and then there are people like barry weiss who like writes her fucking sub stacks like the Substack community loves to talk about censorship. Um, and I have always, I have, I have since like, since like eighth grade, when I wrote a paper on it, I have found censorship very interesting. So 
I am listening when people are talking about the dangers of censorship, but it feels like there's really only one strain of censorship, which is what anyone cares about. Um, And it's like silencing people on the right and their perspectives. But when you're silencing, when you're firing people for teaching about systemic racism, there's like absolutely no, um, no, nothing, no, not a peep from the right, from Tucker Carlson, from Barry Weiss. But um, there's all of these like strong reactions um, against anti-racism curriculum and um, sort of, you know, it's a problem when people use the term orthodoxy, like the orthodoxy of anti-racism. It's like, no, it's just like, it's a school of thought based on, you know, a lot of research and also a lot of, um, an understandable need to push back against a dominant theory of, of history and of like social science and social studies in education in public school curriculums, which doesn't really, uh, adequately understand, explain, address, contextualize, uh, the history of race in America and all the ways in which it's systemically, like we are a systemically racist society and it's baked into every corner of the world. And I get it. It's exhausting. It's a super, it's a super depressing, frustrating, and seemingly absolutely unsolvable, like morass, but you do have to um, engage with it. Sorry. Sorry. You just do like too bad. (laughs) You're a person in the world in 2021 and like we're doing it. So you just have to. Um, anyway, that was a little bit of a rant, but this is just like, it's like, I want to bring these up because it feels like there are a lot of people who are like, so-and-so got fired because they wouldn't talk about, like, they wouldn't teach anti-racism. And it's like, okay, well, on the other side, people are getting fired and being denied tenure because they are getting accused, not even like, they're just getting accused of teaching about systemic racism. And of course, as we talked about before we started recording, just people are throwing around the con- the, the phrase critical race theory without any actual knowledge or being able to really define what that even is. So it's just like another virulent strain of um, oh, like low-key racism that's just like a, th- a very prominent thread running through school districts and communities in the country right now. Um, because if I'm trying to see it from a hopeful perspective, it's like more people are being able to, there can, there's more research on this. A lot more institutions are taking it more seriously. So, and thus there's more pushback from everyone else who it makes them uncomfortable. So anyway, to the school district, um, we see you. We see you. Before I dive into my last, we see you. I just saw something which I'll present without a comment. Uh, Joe Rogan. I was wondering if you were going to say this. <laughs> yeah. Um, who has been very dismissive of COVID vaccines? Um, has been very vocal and just present without comment. Uh, he tested positive for coronavirus after returning from a series of shows in Florida. Um, Wild. Yeah, it's inter- It's like all these public anti-vaxxers seem to be getting... Co- it's a weird coincidence. This global conspiracy has really, <sighs> really gotten out of hand. 
Um, anywho, moving on. Uh, well, and isn't it? I saw something where he and I, I, I could potentially get into trouble at least with my boyfriend for quoting, like seeing like a headline, <laughs> seeing a headline and reacting to it without reading it. But it looks like Joe Rogan is advocating that he's using like dewormer, like one of those oh, ivermectin. Yeah, ivermectin. Ugh, it doesn't work. Yeah, it seems super sketch. And he has a huge platform. And when he does these things, it's beyond him just asking questions. It's like mm, maybe like irresponsible, but not trying to censor him. Just fucking yeah. saying. I get to say he gets to say what he wants and I get to say okay. what I want. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I want to step further and read it, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you're, so he received a combination of things that are good and work and things that don't like ivermectin. So he got his man- monoclonal antibodies, which we, we know, mm, gold standy, mm-hmm. um, prednisone, vitamin drip, and then ivermectin, which is yeah primarily used as a veterinary deworming agent and ivermectin stop. People need to stop <laughs> using it for COVID. It's like, I forget what what was the drug that trump was like this is great and oh it was like, yeah no, no 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 no, honey this doesn't work for that we're like drinking household cleaners and things like that hydroxychloroquine and room yes that's it, it. Or and or so if um joe rogan um has some has a, re- a great recovery it's not because of the ivermectin it's mm-hmm. the monoclonal antibodies and anyway which also not everyone's able to get um Anyway, Joe Rogan, I'm not seeing you. I just saw that and <laughs> got distracted. Um, we're going to be speaking now about Roger Garrison. Um, Roger. Uh, former Georgia sheriff. Um, a photo. So he resigned this week. Um, he was on the investigation panel of the Watchdog Judicial Qualifications Commission. Um, before that, he was a sheriff for 20 years. So he, why did he resign? Well, a photo re, uh, surfaced of him um, in a Ku Klux Klan costume with wow. a buddy um, at a party. And he said, you know, it was a Halloween costume. I wore it at a party in my 20s. I'm not affiliated with the KKK. Me and my friend were depicting a scene from Blazing Saddles. Um, and... Listen, I'm. I understand that people make egregious <laughs> mistakes and can grow from them, but for me personally, to accept apologies or accept someone's changed, I need expression that you understand why it was bad mm-hmm. and why it was so bad and how you've learned and changed since then. Um, you know, I'm, I would, I would give someone the chance to explain themselves, mm-hmm. but this guy, he said, I don't deny it was stupid looking back now, but there again, I was say 21 or 22 who hasn't made stupid mistakes when they're 21 or 22. Mm. Um, not, not an apology saying it was stupid is part of is true um but 
speaking to the, especially when you were sheriff for 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, speaking to maybe the um, significance of casually wearing that outfit and what that outfit actually represents and how despicable and disgusting it is and how you've shown up for people of color since then, how you've learned, how you've none of that just uh, i was a stupid 20 year old it's whatever it's dumb no that's not that's not quite enough um you know and it's like i feel like people get when they're like railing about cancel culture like oh they're gonna cancel the sheriff because of this photo from years ago it's not just the photo it's the photo plus the lack of accountability lack of real apology Mm -hmm. for the photo I mean, yeah, I certainly made stupid mistakes when I was 21 or 22. Um, We've all made stupid mistakes throughout all of our lives. I never wore a KKK costume. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that much. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Never thought that was a fun idea. Um, But it's not about just what you've done. It's about how you show remorse for it. Because you can't forgive someone for something they haven't even apologized for or understood. Um, So we see to Roger, not just for wearing the stupid costume, but for not speaking to the significance of why it is so wrong to casually, you know, trot about in a KKK costume. And then when you're a sheriff for 20 years, like, still after all that, you can't, mm, interesting. So we see you. We see you. Um, this is kind of a funny transition because it's like from one sort of public official who has worn a KKK you know, do- costume or done something racist to actually another um, public official who has gotten in trouble for similar things. Uh, Governor, Virginia Governor uh, Ralph Northam. Um, but this is actually, he's not really my we see you, but I think like that your we see you actually helps to kind of contextualize why I was wanting to highlight this piece of news. Um, Virginia governor Ralph Northam has granted um, posthumous pardons to seven black men who were executed in 1951 after being convicted of allegedly raping a white woman. The men who became known as the Martinsville seven were tried by juries made up only of white men and advocates say they were coerced into confessing. Um, Northam said the pardons don't address whether the seven men were guilty or innocent, but that they're a recognition, uh, that the, they were tried without adequate due process and that the men received a quote, racially biased death sentence, not similarly applied to white defendants. Now, Virginia governor Ralph Northam, who I believe got in trouble because he wore blackface, um, uh, he has, his apology and then his um, different public policies that he's pursued um, in partnership with a lot of prominent black leaders in Virginia has given him some praise. And it's sort of been um, shown as a way that you can actually show, not tell that you're sorry and show, not tell that you understand why what you did was wrong and how you can use your position of power in this case, as governor of Virginia to enact public policies that actually help and move things forward. So he's broadly been seen as that type of a, of a governor. Um, I kind of, I wanted to call it out because it's, it's yet another one of those like depressing pieces of history that occasionally just like pops up and makes, you know, you feel real bad just understanding that like 
how many of these cases over the years have, have happened and how many people have been like in jail for life or put to death um, who were innocent, who were coerced into confessing. Um, I didn't love, I kind of was hoping that maybe um, Northam would have maybe addressed a little bit more about how they weren't proven guilty. Um, because that kind of feels like a key element and couldn't we have dug a little bit deeper and just basically said, look, they were never proven guilty, really. They were tried by an all-white jury. There was not enough evidence ultimately that they to prove that they actually were uh, guilty. I don't know. It just feels like, look, it was 1951. I get it. There's like, you did, I guess, a good thing by posthumously, posthumously, um, pardoning these men, but it really feels like maybe we could have taken the whole thing maybe a, st a step further um, just because it really seems like based on um, even the brief information that I was reading about it, it's like mm, they they were like most likely innocent and they were definitely not proven guilty. So just a we see you kind of the situation. And then it's sort of one of those things where there's this, there's this, governor who has had a questionable a couple of questionable incidents in his past of racial insensitivity he's generally making up for it but but even in these types of like who grants the pardons who gets to kind of tell the story and 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 add to the legacy of the martinsville seven um and it's you know virginia governor ralph northam and it's a complicated one. It's just more of a, like I had complicated feelings. So just like, Oh, we see you to the situation and to, you know, these, these really sad, like just deeply tragic, obviously um, incidents from the past that, um, and then the way that we handle them now, it's just a reminder that it's, it's uh, the past is present and the people who are creating these pardons um, posthumously are still kind of maybe, not quite getting all the way there so we see you we see you um for a good thing um one thing that i wanted to know and i guess it's it's not like good in that it's like <laughs> i love our good thing disclaimers so it's not like good in the traditional sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not like how, how how would you define good uh a happy thing but i guess in um justice in this in the world of justice um the colorado three officers and um two paramedics were charged in the 2019 death of elijah mclean um the black man who was put in a chokehold and ultimately uh died um after the way that he was treated um it was uh, caught on camera, and this was the um, the case of Elijah McLean. Was um, he was walking and he had his hood on, and he also was sort of he was put in a chokehold. He said he couldn't breathe. Um, at least this is my memory of the situation, and this is and um, he was just like really nervous, and um, he was the one who played uh, the violin and was like a sensitive guy. Um, uh, and these are just my brief memories of like his case. Um, but 
So he played violin for like shelter cats and stuff. Yes, for shelter cats. Um, and he was injected with ketamine. I mean, it was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, and he, oh yeah, and he was walking home carrying iced tea. He was twenty three years old. Um, yeah, it was violent and unnecessary. And um, as I'm just looking up the Twitter thread that I had bookmarked, um, uh, this is uh, it's just pointed out like the the emotional labor that has to be done by his family to get these officers indicted. You know, it's like it's endless work, 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 work to try to um, seek some element of accountability for your son's unnecessary violent death at the hands of the Aurora Colorado police department. So, um, like, sorry to, that's where I'm at for good things. Where's the good, where's the good thing? (laughs) It's good that they're getting indicted. Like justice. It's a stretch. I mean, it's not good. So I, you got something better. (laughs) Uh... Like, like an animal video or something that's actually good. Mm, students in Illinois can now take up to five mental health days each school year. Oh, um, that's good. Which is also partially, it's like, I feel like you should get mental health days as sick days as needed. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess that's good that they're at least um, recognizing that. Maybe that'll pave the way to more um recognition of mental of how important mental health is and you know so i'm just like looking to see like i always think like i must have sent you a good thing via twitter or um what's this (laughs) the two the last tweet that i sent you as a good thing is like this has been withheld as a response to a report from the copyright withholder. Anyway, not a good thing. I don't know. I don't even know. We We're tried. Struggling. Mental health days are good. Mental health. Mental health. Justice. Yeah. That's all we got. Yeah. Good, good for mental health days and also accountability for cops, but we should just cover that in like normal, normal due yeah. course. Anyway. Anyway. Hope everyone has a good week, but you feel free to call Susan Collins's office and ask her if Roe is settled law and how her week's going. And I hope it's going badly. I hope she steps on Legos. Oh, <sighs> All right. Well, it's time for me to have some dinner, you to have some cookies, and um, see everyone next week. Feminists Without Mystique is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.com slash podcasts. Ta-da!